Slate Plus members, I'm here to remind you to take the Slate survey. It'll be open through April 1st. This is your chance to tell us what you think about Slate Plus and Slate. It'll only take a few minutes and you can find it at slate.com slash survey. This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Danny M. Lavery. With me in the studio this week is a friend of mine who's going to see right now the thing that he was tweeting about recently is happening. We've known each other for years. This is a close friend of mine. I know his name's Calvin. I've almost never said his name out loud all the way. Kasulki. Kasulki. Damn it! You're putting you're putting too much you're putting too much uh, culture on it. Calvin Kasulki. There you go. You nailed it. Normally, I ask my guests before we start recording <laughs> if I have their names pronounced correctly. Didn't even occur to me that that was going to be a problem because I thought Calvin known each other years, dear years. friends. I think I think two years. Ate dumplings together yesterday. Mm-hmm. Going for shopping for jewelry later. <laughs> dear dear Calvin, good friend of mine whose name I'm sure I know all the way through. No reason to double check. Hello. I didn't finish your bio. <laughs> Shush. Calvin Kasulki is a writer, <laughs> podcast producer, and transsexual living in Brooklyn. His work has been featured in outlets including Mel Magazine, Vice, Electric Literature, and BuzzFeed. Calvin, welcome to the show. It is fantastic to be here, and what a welcome that was. I am just so pleased that you are here, and uh, I'm very glad that I have said your name out loud now two times. Two whole times. Two whole times. As you know, it is now spelled correctly on my phone. We're doing great. <laughs> We're doing awesome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very I'm very excited to be here. Do you have a sense of what kind of masculine jewelry you are going to be on the lookout for today for yourself? Something that is as close to a St. Christopher as one can get without actually getting a St. Christopher because I am not, nor have I ever been Catholic. Gotcha. Okay. Well, but it's a sort of— Something uh, that captures the vibe. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a cultural thing. It's Respect, a, yeah. I was I was born on Long Island. There's only there's a certain amount of escaping uh, that I can do, and then I hit my limit, and then my brain goes, "What about a Saint Christopher?" And mm-hmm. that's uh, you we're, know we're gonna find you something so good. What about for you? What are you? I just want a jingle. You know, <laughs> I want like a triangle going from both my wrists to mm-hmm. my my meaty meaty neck, <laughs> and I just want to I want to flash. It's a sonic. It's a sonic experience you're hunting for. Exactly. I want to I want to sound like I'm arriving before I've actually <laughs> arrived. I think we can make that happen. Uh, I think for first we have to help a bunch of people. Though. We have to help so many people. I feel that we can help so much this first uh, <laughs> writer. I have, you know, a, a great deal of love and compassion for this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look forward to hopefully giving them permission. Um, would you read that letter for us, please? I, I would love to. Uh, the subject is feminist chest pains. Dear Prudence, I consider myself very staunchly feminist. I have a PhD, and my specialty overlapped with women's and gender studies. I've always thought the prevalence of so much plastic surgery was an indicator of a society that thinks a woman's best quality is their ability to look hot and young. I always thought cosmetic surgery was vain and kind of dumb. The problem is, I'm starting to want some. 
I've spent years dealing with a chronic illness that's caused my weight to fluctuate in the extreme. My breasts are extremely saggy, and I have a ton of stretch marks. I'm only 33. I've been working hard to lose weight. I've been thinking of rewarding myself with a breast lift when I get to my goal weight and stay there for a year. Every time I look down, I just feel so old, which is the way my illness has always made me feel. I'm also dating and just keep thinking about all the potential guys that will see my breasts. I can't tell if that's influencing me a lot or not. I need some outside perspective on this. I still think it's kind of dumb to have a risky surgery to prevent something that's going to happen over time anyway, but I just feel so frumpy. How can I figure out what to do? As they say, lots going on here. I, I think it's wonderful that you have a PhD. I don't know that that's like relevant here exactly, but congratulations. You certainly don't need one to be a feminist, but I'm glad I'm glad you're proud of it and that you earned it. That's wonderful. That's a real achievement. Um, yeah, that's that's super incredible. The prevalence of plastic surgery is for a lot of reasons. And so I think while it's absolutely true that we live in a society that is very, very often very sexist, I think one of the things that you're kind of bumping up against is the possibility that perhaps dismissing all plastic surgery as simply capitulation to evil sexism is like rightly being challenged. Right. And that's okay. Right. Capitulation to to a society that is sexist or just sort of unmitigated vanity, right? Vain and kind of dumb. Um, which which I, is my like that is my gender goals. <laughs> Like, that's all I want. I want to have a lot of masculine jewelry and be a himbo. Yeah, I was going to say, your, your, your goal has been himbo for, for quite Day some one. time. Day one. Day one, baby. Although, you know, to be fair, uh, counterposing uh, society that prizes these things and then saying also plastic surgery is vain and dumb, the society that you just posited, plastic surgery, uh, kind of makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. It makes sense for reasons that you outlined uh, in this question about why you want it, um, right? Because you—, you uh, you want it to, for for yourself, but you also have some external concerns in terms of your your dating, and you don't want to feel self conscious, right? You say, "I can't tell if that's influencing me on a lot or not." And the fact that it's in this pretty brief letter, the part that this this uh, letter writer is considering uh, herself in in sexual situations, right? Not only for her own wanting to not feel frumpy, but also for for that of a partner. Uh, I think it, it is obviously influencing you to to some degree. Yeah, of course it is. And and I don't know that you need to pretend that it isn't in order to say, I'm allowed to make this decision. Um, I, I think you are allowed to do whatever you like here. And if you want to say, I would like to do something that is vain, and I would like to do something because I think that it will please more sexual partners, uh, that's a financial investment I'm comfortable making. You are allowed to and entitled to do that. And that does not somehow compromise or mitigate the kind of person that you are. Um, right. I, I do think, you know, when it comes to stuff like surgical risk, there's there's always risk when you go under anesthesia, but talk to uh, uh, one or more plastic surgeons about the risks of breast lifts. I don't know that it's an especially risky procedure. Uh, again, obviously all surgery is slightly risky, but I, I would reality test the idea that a breast lift is super risky. Right. Um, I, I don't know that a plastic, I mean, obviously they're never going to tell you like, no, this one's the safest. <laughs> that one's not, like no one's going to open themselves up to that kind of a, a lawsuit. But right. get some information about complications, possible side effects, possible outcomes. Um, if you decide like, nope, you know what? That's too risky for me. I'm going to look for non-surgical alternative ways of dealing with this. 
do that, but like get that information first. Right. I, I think my my one hang up here, uh, because I also do whatever you want. Like if you're if you are seeking permission, um, permission uh, absolutely granted. My 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 one actual hang up here is the part where you're working hard to lose weight, and you've been thinking of rewarding yourself right. with a breast lift uh, when you get to your goal weight and stay there for a year. Um, I don't know the nature of your chronic condition, except that you say it is chronic and has caused weight fluctuation. I don't know if you're at a place now where losing weight is a thing that is medically advisable, something that your doctor wants you to do. Um, certainly, uh, medical doctors often uh, tell people of uh, that seem to be sort of overweight by a like, arbitrarily assigned BMI that they should lose weight, kind of whether or not that has anything to do with their health. Uh-huh. Um, so my one hang up here is, A of all, consider releasing yourself of this uh, uh, carrot stick mechanism where you only get a breast lift uh, if you hit this goal weight, but also so I would love for you to be in conversation with your doctor both about the the safety of a breast lift for you um, in terms of your, your this chronic condition, but also this weight loss thing. I, I obviously you know your your medical condition better than anyone, but I I would not tether yourself to that if it is going to um, impact sort of other other health decisions you make. Right. I I feel similarly like. I want to encourage certain aspects of your vanity, and I want to discourage certain uh, effects of like internalized loathing of fatness. Right. Which is admittedly a very difficult needle to thread. Like we're all swimming (laughs) in some murky water and and it's difficult. But yeah, this idea of if I earn this type of like size of body through various forms of restriction and discipline, I then have the right to do something to my breasts that will make me feel better about the way that they look. Right. And if I don't do that, I will, uh, you know... uh, Continue to feel frumpy. Punish yourself by continuing to feel frumpy or, or, to, or to not sort of deal with this because you have behaved improperly. Right. You're, so, like, none of which is to say, like, get it no matter what or don't right. get it no matter what. Um, so much as relative to how much fat you do or don't carry on your body, you are entitled to think about ways that you can treat your breasts in a way that feels, like, loving, that increases your sense of attraction to yourself, that increases your, like— uh, uh, the aesthetic appeal of them. Like, I, I want you to consider all of your options, not simply in terms of um, once I'm thin enough, then my life can begin. Right, right. I, I, I think we're both sort of coming down on the side of like, whatever whatever version of this keeps you healthy mm-hmm. as, as a person in terms of managing this illness, not in terms of weight as relationship to health, which is dubious at best, uh, but also just in terms of like how you see yourself and how you can proceed out in the world um, with, you know, and obviously, yeah, we live in a society, but you for yourself not feeling frumpy or old or these things that you're sort of dealing with um, internally as, as relation um, with your illness. But yeah, don't you don't need to tack all these things onto each other into a sort of mousetrap of then you get to finally feel good about your body because you will you will just keep adding obstacles in that way probably if, if that is how you proceed. Yeah, and I mean like obviously part of me wants to suggest like like throw a, like uh, an all girl orgy where everybody <laughs> like openly like lusts after one another stretch marks and like deals with the realities of like bodies that move over time and with time and through time rather than like imagining future kind of sexist guys who are already disappointed in you the second you take your shirt off um just throwing that out there as an option um <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to offer all of those as, as possibilities. Like, I, I want you to be able to look for what are ways that you could try to think about your stretch marks in a way that was not purely 
how disgusting, what a sign of my failure to remain thin consistently throughout my whole life. Throughout I'm your whole life and, and, and an illness. Right. And and and, and getting a PhD. Um, uh, and, and I also want to say that, like, while acknowledging that, like, the desire for plastic surgery, it can be fine to be vain. It can be fine to be vain in particular ways. It doesn't devalue you as a person. It doesn't mean you don't love yourself or can't love yourself. So I, I realize I'm trying to, like, push you in several different directions at the same time. <laughs> right. But the, the question isn't what should I do, but how can I figure out what to do? And I think ultimately it comes down to you can only you have to deal with your body today and tomorrow and, and the days that you you wake up. And so you get to you get to make those decisions about what is going to make you feel good in your body and also relative to what is safe and healthy in terms of this illness that you are grappling with. That is clearly a uh, 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 a fairly significant factor in, in these decisions. Yeah, and just, uh, you know, not to be all as someone who, but, like, as someone who <laughs> also had, like, quote-unquote risky plastic surgery on my chest and yet also deals with the fact that, like, I'm getting older and I live in a body and I don't always feel perfect about it. Um, it's like, having done both of those things, sometimes I also have to do the work of, you know, well, now I just feel worse about my my middle instead of my chest. Um, and sometimes, you know, I don't think the goal necessarily needs to be I wake up every day feeling totally self-actualized and perfect love for my body. That's exhausting. But I also think that it will be good to both tell yourself, yeah, I, I have the ability and the resources and the right to pursue these surgical options if I would like to. And it will also not solve the problem of if I feel old or if I acknowledge my fatness, then I think I'm disgusting and unsexy. Right. And how do I wrestle with that? Because that's not true. Um, and, and it's, I think, often easy to punish yourself immensely for failure to get thin um, in a way that's like just very, very challenging. Yeah, and give yourself the gift of looking at cosmetic interventions, you know, including plastic surgery, as uh, morally neutral. Yeah. Completely morally neutral. And also vanity as completely sort of morally neutral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's wise. And and to then also just do a lot of research, um, look at a lot of before and after pictures, familiarize yourself with the results, ask yourself if they look good, ask yourself if, if you know, like, if you had that result, would you feel like it was worth it? Or do you think you would feel like, Jesus, I did all that and this is what happened? I don't want that. Because I think the more information you can give yourself ahead of time and the more realistic your expectations um, the better the outcome will possibly be, as opposed to if you're like, oh, this is kind of embarrassing and shameful. I don't want to think about it too much. Let's just get it and hope for the best. Right, right. Uh, yeah, but two, two trans people who have had cosmetic surgeries are not going to tell you to not do that. <laughs> exactly. You know, while you're at it, how much higher can you lift them than to have them removed completely? <laughs> have lift. you considered installing a flat chest? It's more aerodynamic and the rain just rolls right down you. Yeah, lift, lift it all the way to heaven. It's great. Then if you drop crumbs down the front of your shirt, they just shoot straight down out. <laughs> your crumbs don't stay there. And That's why I did it. Isn't that, frankly, worth <laughs> all the money in the world? <laughs> Crumb retention was a real problem for me. Crumb aerodynamism, yeah. Okay, so the next letter um, is uh, similarly uh, an ostensibly cis woman's problem that has some trans resonance, uh, which is at least— I'm detecting a theme. You never know. Uh, the subject is, say my name. Dear Prudence, I am a cis woman for now. <laughs> I, 
I'm sorry. That's I'm joking. I'm totally joking. I'm sure you'll get to be cis forever. Uh, I have a longer feminine name that, when shortened, can be used by both men and women. Think Christina to Chris. I always introduce myself by my full given name. I love my name. My parents gave it to me. Very common. It is beautiful, and I don't run into very many people who share it. My family has never abbreviated my name. I hate being called Chris. People have defaulted to abbreviating my name, and it really bothers me. At work, I always sign my full name. I answer the phone with, this is Christina, and yet people are still calling me Chris. I'm also on dating apps, and the same goes there. People start messaging me, and the opening line is usually, hey, Chris. It drives me nuts. How do I tell someone to use my full name without coming across like a snob? I feel like I'm being a petty brat. You are not a snob. You are neither a snob nor a brat. Just saying, I go by Christina. Or like, my name is Christina. That's super normal. I'm nodding vigorously like that can be heard over podcasts. No, it's super normal. Um, it, it's it's both normal and, and somewhat necessary, um, particularly in, in your workplace. Don't let yourself be dehumanized any further than any kind of uh, uh, nine-to-five grind uh, might dehumanize you. Yeah. Um, and I do think you, you've sort of outlined this, – this letter writer has outlined two very different um, – Situations in which in which two very different sort of means of of uh, correcting people on on her name uh, are going to be are going to need to be deployed two very different tones, um, but in in all cases you should be called the name that you want at all times. Yeah, like if you wrote down your name the right way and somebody responds to your email with "Hey Chris," the first line of your next email is actually it's Christina. And then you go ahead and answer. Right. It can be, especially at work, it can be super neutral. In fact, neutral is probably the way to go just in terms of of, of correcting people. And obviously, you know, if the CEO, whatever the equivalent of the king boss of your company is. Uh, uh, king boss, totally. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, king boss, totally normal. Um, you know, you might not be able to super correct them in the moment, but over email or in person of a super neutral, you know, actually it's, it, it, yeah, actually it's Christina is, is going to be totally fine. Um, the other thing I can think of in, in a workplace, particularly if you have a close friend, and this is something that uh, has some trans resonance, uh, particularly yeah. uh, in, in listing an ally and being like, hey, you know, if you know uh, people might be calling you Chris uh, in other meetings or in, in moments that you're not involved in, you might just want to tap somebody who you're close with at work and be like, hey, if you hear people calling me Chris, would you mind just um, uh, correcting them super gently? You know, like I, I just kind of want to make sure that I'm being called Christina at all times. I don't want to be the only person who's doing that and see if uh, one of your coworkers would not mind um, being being that uh, ally for you. Yeah, uh, same thing on dating apps. You can be slightly more like, uh, you can massage it a little bit more because on dating apps, you're going to be a little bit more like friendly and informal than you would at work. You could also put on your profile, like it's Christina, not Chris. I, I hear enough from people who are like, I put XYZ in my profile and everyone ignores it to know that like probably some people won't notice it, but then it'll at least make it slightly easier to say like, it's never Chris, it's always Christina. And the people who are like, Hopefully you don't encounter too many of them, but the people who are like, ha, 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 I'm going to call you Chris, have just done you a big favor and let you know that they would be awful people to go on a date with. Yeah, they have disqualified themselves early. Um, yeah, I, I, on dating apps in particular, I think, you know, you could, in the best case scenario, let this be something that uh, gets you out of um, small talk hell. Uh, in messaging people back and forth um, uh, forever, just, you know, sort of talking about the weather or whatever sort of doldrums uh, messaging apps can be unless you have like a super wild uh, thing to say to the other person. Um, let the correction of actually it's Christina be a way that you can ask them about their name or otherwise sort of pivot to, you know, I've told you this fact about me. Now you know that I, you know, uh, this is my name and also that I'm <laughs> particular about it. Now you have right. to tell me a thing. But it's not petty and it's not snobby. 
obviously I know a lot of people who do this do so unintentionally and 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 don't have any malicious intentions. Sorry to say intentions twice, but I could not think of a synonym. <laughs> um, but it is important to call people by the names that they give for themselves. Yeah. It's a pretty fundamental component of autonomy, and it's a pretty easy form of respect to grant them. And so whether it's giving somebody a nickname because, like, you want to anglicize their name because you've decided that they're, like, culture or language is too difficult to learn anything about or, you know, using a trans person's birth name to demonstrate that you don't think they have the rights to make decisions about their own identity or nicknaming women because you want them to seem cutesy and more approachable. You know, it's it's all disrespectful. And, yeah. and again, doesn't mean everybody's doing it on purpose. Doesn't mean they're all assholes. Doesn't mean they want to, like— throw you off of a bridge, but it is a small-scale sign of disrespect, and that's why it bothers you. Right. And, you, yeah, you have every right to correct everybody at literally every turn. Um, yeah. I can't imagine doing that in an email, though. I am so terrified that I am—whenever I send yep, an email— just type, actually, it's, and then write out your full name, and then go into the rest of the email. Do yeah, it. I Do just, it. I just want to assure this this letter writer that that behavior is wild, particularly over email, when it's very, very easy to spell, to just copy— Oh, right. Copy what is in a person's signature— and paste it. I mean, that's just the thing. It's like an automatic, like, I'm sure I know what their name is. I'm sure I have permission to nickname them. <sighs> um, it's, you don't. It's too you much never... familiarity. Yeah, it's it's not cool, particularly at work. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, again, it's not on the same scale as throwing people off bridges, but it is absolutely annoying. And yeah, But it's, it's, you know what? It's in the same, it's not in the same ballpark, but maybe it's in the parking lot. The same parking lot as a bridge. <laughs> I don't. This metaphor is getting. It's I, getting away from I, us. I, I did. I did goof it up very badly, and I do apologize for let's, that. Let's move on. Let's, let's move, move on. on. Um, this this one for some reason took me a minute to kind of like um, picture the ways in which everyone was related to one another. I think I've sorted it out, but yeah, I was a little confused. The setting is, I think, actually important here. Yes. Um, yeah. Subject: Do I tell a friend about insulting gay comments? Dear Prudence, I was at a birthday party for the daughter of a friend, Flora. When her friend and a mutual acquaintance named Ashlyn came up to me and was telling me all about how everyone was cool with gay people now. Um, okay. That's in the letter. That's not me editorializing. She punctuated her point by telling me that if she and her husband saw me and my girlfriend walking down the street hand in hand, her husband would probably be trying to find out how to hook up with us. I was stunned and felt gross and devalued. Of course you did. I didn't say anything, but don't want to share a space with Ashlyn again. Flora who doesn't know what Ashlyn said to me, and Ashlyn are good friends, and we will be at several upcoming events together. How do I handle this? Do I tell Flora? Tell off Ashlyn? Shrink into a corner? I don't want Ashlyn and her husband staring at me and my girlfriend all night knowing that's what they think of us. So this is like, I mean, maybe they're all adults. They're all but this adults. Is like, they, this happened at a child's birthday party. So Flora is the name of the friend. The daughter is unnamed. The daughter is unnamed. The I, child's birthday party is the setting. Did you think that a six-year-old was part of this triangle? No, no, no. I thought it was like we're in our like 50s. The kids are in their 20s. Oh. But for some reason, we're going on a double date with people in their 20s. And so I was confused, but I oh, see I, that I guess this isn't necessarily, it doesn't specify it's a children's birthday party. I think the part where they're going to be at several events together, I sort of mentally extrapolated like this is a small town and it's going to be like PTA stuff yeah, and okay. other, like no, a kid birthday party circuit, but it doesn't specify the I age. had thought the friend's daughter was named Flora. Ah. The kids were all of a generation to socialize with adults 25 years older than them and that everybody was just hanging out cross-generationally. 
Oh, we both have very different, um, uh, we very different casts of what this of what this set is. But no, I think I think all of these people are in the same age bracket. Yeah, all, assuming, the, all the named people. You know, uh, you know, this person has a husband. She's obviously an adult, right? So whatever, it actually kind of doesn't matter if you're in your fifties and she's in her twenties, yeah. or if you're all in your thirties or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter because what this person said to you is completely wild. Yeah. Completely wild and also like totally understandably disqualifying from wanting to hang out again. Yeah. I mean, it's it is sexual harassment uh, with a little bit of with like a side of like weird homophobia. Homophobia. Yeah. Just sort of as as the as the side dish to what is mostly sexual harassment. Just want to make that very clear. Like yeah. being like my husband would like to have sex with you and your partner based on your sexual orientation alone. And I, I want to start by acknowledging that like. Some people have decided that, you know, like, apparently everyone's allowing you to be gay now, which is just <laughs> such a weird, like, thing to say to an obviously out gay person. Like, right. well, even if they didn't, I'd still be gay. I'd still be queer. I'd still be, I'd still have this same partner. Yeah, so absolutely. Um you know, Ashlyn was barely an acquaintance. I don't think there's any reason why you should have to revisit this with her. But yes, absolutely say to Flora... Of course you tell Flora. Yeah. Absolutely. If you would like to tell off Ashlyn, fucking go ahead. Be my guest. If you've got her number, please, you have my absolute blessing. Short of going absolutely apeshit, like, you have my permission to get in touch and say, like, what you said to me was completely fucked up. I have no interest in spending time with you again. Leave me alone. Delete my number. Right. Um, I don't, this acquaintance makes it seem like she might not even have her number, frankly, um, or she maybe would have texted this uh, <laughs> to her instead of coming up with to her at a party. I cannot conceive of this interaction happening. You must have felt like you were leaving your body. Um, but yeah, you should absolutely tell Flora, um, both because you are going to want to make it clear that you don't want to be in a space with this person again and that Flora should know because she is the connecting point between the two of you, um, but also for Flora's sake. So Flora can make a decision uh, around if she wants to continue to have a relationship with a person who at uh, her daughter's birthday party uh, says this kind of stuff to party guests. But when it's like a social event too, especially given that like Flora is closer with Ashlyn, there's a little bit of a sense of like, hey, you brought these people into my orbit. Like you need to collect them or like, right. can, like you need to do something with your friend. So I think very much say to Flora, like I know we had all talked about going out together, but Ashlyn said some incredibly creepy and homophobic stuff to me the last time we got together. I'm not comfortable being around her. Yeah. Um, and and if and if the events that you're going to be at are not like social events that Flora or or you have sort of control of the guest list right. of, um, you can make it abundantly clear that like if you are talking to Ashlyn and I walk in the room, you are not to make it a situation where you walk exactly. over with this person in yeah, tow. Yeah, yeah, I will be giving her the cold shoulder. You don't have to join me in that, but you. Uh, don't try to fuck up my cold shoulder. Right, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to be cognizant that this person, it's, it, it's the floor is lava, only it's this person specifically is lava, and I'm not getting anywhere near them. Yeah, it's the worst, and I'm truly sorry. Um, people yeah. say awful things. Yeah, it's creepy. You shouldn't have to deal with having this malevolent presence around at social events. I invite you, if these are social events that you can skip, that you know this person's going to be at, and it will not be a detriment to you significantly, eh, don't go. I also like, uh, this is actually more just for like you and I to ponder over and less for the letter writer, because as far as the letter writer is concerned, it doesn't matter. But I'm curious if it was the sort of like my, it sounds like Ashlyn was saying my husband would be trying to figure out how to hook up with you, which is a little like depressing. Yeah, that she's like it doesn't like it would be predatory and gross if she was like, "Hey, we barely know each other. Here's what would happen." Um, right. But if it's like she's trying so hard to be cool with her husband's like relentless grossness that she's like, 
maybe it'll be funny if I tell the joke first so I don't look like a fool and a cuckold. When later my husband says this to you directly. Yeah, either way, it's an incredibly fucked up response. Yeah. But it just like, it's sad in two different flavors. Yeah, it, the, the question of if this is, I, I was also wondering like, is this the worst attempt at trying to start swinging that has ever been conceived by man? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think that matters functionally. Like, I don't I don't think your response has to matter at all. But yeah, it is, it is somehow worse if this is an earnest attempt to either offset the husband's inevitable creepiness that this person's trying to offset or facilitate um, some kind of a, a threesome or foursome situation. There is no version of this that is appropriate or cool. Uh, it is just a different flavor of sad depending on what this person's intent was. Yeah. Um, which is inscrutable because starting off with everyone's cool with gay people now to uh, an obviously uh, gay person is just uh, is is. <laughs> I am having so many flashbacks to just like awful conversations I had to like forage my way through. <laughs> yeah, uh, as a, as a young person in my twenties, uh, when I was, uh, it, it, I, I was at one point in a relationship where it just seemed like. And this was not true of other relationships, uh, but like in this one, it was like everywhere we went, somebody would approach and it would always be a woman on behalf of her husband. Mm-hmm. And it would always just be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I like I knew it wasn't me. Like it was definitely me and my girlfriend at the time because I was like, this doesn't happen to me when I'm dating other people. Mm-hmm. And she just thought it was hilarious. So she was like, you deal with it. And I was like, I hate this so much. And I hate these conversations that start out with like, do you know the way to LaGuardia from here? I didn't, we were living in Long Beach at the time, so it couldn't have been LaGuardia. But you know. No. And it would just always end with like, my husband's over there in the corner looking awful. <laughs> he would like to proposition you via me. It was always the worst. It was That's just like. unconscionable. It was not fun. I, I never I never enjoyed it. And um, luckily after that relationship ended, uh, that was not something that I had to worry about again. I I didn't have that when I was in a you know relationships that presented as 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 uh, two women being involved. Um, mm-hmm. But I I didn't have that in person. But I did have I think three New Years in a row where I would wake up to a different text from a person who had been drunk on New Year's Eve uh, asking if me and my girlfriend at the time, who was I think different all three years, oh. like you know if if we wanted to 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 get involved in something, it was like a Every very New Year's. It, it was like a weird streak of New Year's where a different person would would send that text and that would be like the thing I woke up to in the new year like yeah. that was how I was going to kick off the year it was a weird energy yeah yeah and you know there's there's certainly I, I have at other times in my life been approached for group sex in ways that I said yeah that sounds fantastic um so I, I'm not against that at all as a rule um although I can't really imagine a straight couple ever making it in but the presumption the presumption that a, it wouldn't be a at couple. a friend's kid's birthday party. Right. And the, the presumption that just two two women who are engaged in a relationship are just yeah. available for that yeah. at any time. Yeah. No no matter how little you know them. It's not the way. It's not the way. Uh please, please stop. Straight people, please collect your respective Ashlands. <laughs> Ashlands, yeah. please gather them. Yeah. All right. So this next one is <laughs> Timely, I think. There's been a lot of conversations around gay voice lately. Mm-hmm. I, I just want you to know that my original answer to this was typed, and it was just, Lamau, die mad about it. <laughs> and then I thought, maybe I could say a, a more thing than that. But 
That was my original response. I don't know if we got it. I don't know that we have a ton more to say about it, but I'll... I'll, uh, I'll it might the, just be die mad about it. It yeah. might be die mad about it. Um, okay. Subject. I hate my coworker's gay voice. Dear Prudence, I have this one coworker, and I hate the way he talks. It triggers an involuntary cringing reaction in me. It's not a real problem at work. He works in a different role in a different department than I do, and I don't have any problem politely saying hello or when is this rain going to let up around the coffee machine, which is about the extent of our interaction. This voice, in addition to being profoundly annoying, sounds very gay to me. It has a lot of nasal treble, a bit of a lisp, and an excessive amount of vocal fry. He sounds whiny and tired all the time. It triggers some judgmental part of my lizard brain, which I don't like and don't understand. I don't believe there's only one kind of gay voice or that all gay people sound gay, and I don't think I'm homophobic generally. Hmm. I fully believe that all people are equal, and I much prefer to deal with everyone I meet as an individual rather than as a representative of a group. I have a gay brother and have lived at different times with three different gay roommates. I'm not bothered by most voices that sound gay to me. My brother and one of the past roommates don't speak with any discernible quote-unquote gay voice, but two of my past roommates had different kinds of voices that read as clearly gay but didn't prevent me from connecting with them. I love these descriptions. One of them had a little more snap and sass with an under current of dry archness, while the other was a little more sunny and brash, like a trumpet blaring hello just a little too early in the morning. That's poetry, my guy. Uh, these former roommates are still friends, though obviously we don't hang, hang out as much as we used to. Uh, and I'm currently taking a class with a teacher who also sounds very gay. Lots of dramatic in intonation and catchphrases like, okay, babies. I enjoy listening to his lectures just fine. I don't even care if this coworker is gay or not. He could turn out to be straight and I'd still hate to hear him speak. But it's hard for me to listen to what he's saying and try treat him like an individual. Based on his voice alone, I've written him off as lazy and prone to whining. Do you have any advice for getting past this gut-level irritation and treating this guy more fairly? I feel like I just ran six miles. I, like, letter writer, if nothing else, I just want you to know that, like, it's okay to just condense this to I, I have a homophobic response to this guy. Yeah. Like, there's so much, like, I, I charted out all these formulas. I've identified the 19 components of the human voice, including, like, tone and reflection. Dry archness. There's so much, there's so many beautifully rendered descriptions of men's voices in here. Like, you're trying so hard to, like, <laughs> isolate the principle. And it's like, you're, you're homophobic towards this guy. And, like, that's just it. It's that simple. Yeah. And you historically have not been. Yeah. And uh, that's why you're freaking out because it's like, well, there's got to be an objective reason. And I will find the quality in his voice that if isolated, I could play back for you on the podcast and we could all universally agree. He does sound tired. That guy's voice is objectively bad. Right. Uh, um, besides dying mad about it, which is, frankly, a very viable option. Um this is a person at work. A of all, I need you to, every time you have characterize this person based on his voice and not on your um, conversations at the water cooler or whatever, don't do that. That's ridiculous. You know that's ridiculous. You've told us that you know that that's ridiculous. Don't do that. Um, let this be an exercise in, in patience and loving kindness for you. Whenever yes. you hear this guy's voice and it makes all of these things in yourself that you don't like, all of these reactions that you do not want to have to this guy's voice, this weird, irritated homophobia, sit with it. Yeah. You cannot 
science your way out of it. You cannot have any no no amount of gay brothers and roommates are going to make you not be annoyed by this guy's voice. Just sit with it. Let yourself be annoyed. Let it flow through you and then release it and then go on with your day. Yeah. And I think that's really what die mad about it is, is like, you don't have to do a thing here. Right. Like you don't really work with him. He's not bothering you by asking you questions. You you don't have to pair up on a project together. Um, you are literally allowed to just die not liking this guy's voice. Right. As long as you don't mistreat him, you don't have to keep going like searching for the reason his voice bothers you. Right. Like, you know, you say it triggers some judgmental part of my lizard brain, which I don't like and don't understand. I get it. You are experiencing a feeling that conflicts with your values. You don't want to be homophobic. I'm not saying you're like a, a homophobic piece of shit. I'm saying you are experiencing a homophobic reaction. You are feeling homophobic feelings. And instead of trying to come up with like the perfect reason for why um, anyone in your position would also have that homophobic response, just acknowledge that as an ugly part of yourself. You can call it your lizard brain if you want and like, you know, let it go. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, all, all this rationalization seems like it is adding more distress to what could be handled by you taking three deep breaths whenever you hear this guy's voice mm-hmm. acknowledging I'm having a reaction to this. That that's homophobic. I, uh, that's yeah. homophobic. That's a part of me I don't like. And then you have seven. I'm going to give you seven seconds to think about this. Take three breaths and then you're done and then you have to move on. Yeah. Yeah. His voice is his voice. It bothers you because, you know, homophobia is in the water. We all pick some up. And um, sometimes you're still going to feel things that conflict with your values. And that's just a shame. And you don't have to try to deny it or explain it away. You can just say, like, this conflicts with my values. Um, I don't know. Maybe imagine sucking on a dick and that will make you feel better because you'll think, like, now I'm less homophobic (laughs) because I was comfortable imagining this this particular sex sex act. And, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I have trans guy voice. You know what I mean? I permanently sound like I just like inhaled a tin balloon. <laughs> so like I, uh, I, I have a lot of deep, deep love for my weird ass voice. Yeah, um, yeah. This is this is a clinic in trans guy voice right now. Um, yeah. I hope everybody's enjoying the, the just low level buzz of. Uh, it is. It is like I ate a metal bee like eight months ago, and there's just enough left that it's like flattening out part of my voice. I've got a lot of questions about metal bees, but I think we have it's to keep... It's a bee that's made of metal. It's okay. very simple. Okay. <laughs> that's a Wachowski film I didn't catch. Um, we want, do we want to... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. S- s- die mad about it and or thinking about sucking a dick. Or suck a dick in real life if it'll make you... I mean, that seems... Yeah, if you feel that guilty, you if can you make feel, up for it yeah. by sucking one dick. Uh, just that active community service. Uh, donate five dollars to to like a local LGBT oh, center. Cute. Every yeah, time yeah, you yeah. have this bad reaction, <laughs> every time you have this reaction, like yeah, I don't know if you want to be told like you're not bad. Um, yeah. this particular thing doesn't necessarily make you bad. It is an unkind and unpleasant response every time. But you're doing all the right things. Yeah, you know. Take three deep breaths, donate five bucks to your local trans youth center or, or LGBT youth center, uh, and then move all the way on with your day. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Uh, The subject of our next letter is, my sister is horrible, just not transphobic, which is sweet. (laughs) Dear Prudence, I'm a woman in my 50s. My younger sister has always been challenging. When she goes into a rage, she becomes hurtful and frightening. She inevitably makes herself the center of attention. Other people's deaths, weddings, even miscarriages are somehow about her. I've often considered cutting her off as some of our other siblings have done, but we share a traumatic childhood and a mental health diagnosis. I've always felt guilty about and responsible for her. 
Recently, my youngest, a teenager, came out as trans. My husband and I support and celebrate this. My kid decided to tell our extended families about their transition over email, which we drafted together. In it, we mentioned that this was my child's preferred way of letting everyone know. My sister's initial response was loving and supportive, and she's never been anything but great to my kid. But a few hours later, I received an angry text from her berating me for telling her over email because I apparently knew full well, I didn't, that she hates getting important news that way. I reminded her that this was my child's decision and that their feelings should prevail here. She followed up with over a dozen rage-filled texts filled with insults and false accusations that I've heard thousands of times. I realized I finally had enough and I've severed my relationship with her. I've told people broadly about the estrangement on a need-to-know basis, like when my dad asked why I hadn't included a Christmas present for her in the box that I sent to him, but I haven't gone into detail. But as word travels, it's becoming clear that due to the timing, many people believe the rift is because she's transphobic. I've corrected anyone who said this to me directly, and I've let my kids know that it's completely unrelated, but I haven't said anything more broadly. I admit there is an angry, petty part of me that wants to allow people to think the worst of her, but I don't want to let my actions be driven by anger and pettiness. Should I issue some kind of statement like, we're estranged because she's horrible, but she's not transphobic? Or can I allow the hometown rumors to continue and only address them if I hear them directly? I can't have her in my life, and I don't have any love left for her, but I do have compassion for her difficulties, and I want to be fair. The idea of uh, issuing a statement about this is so charming. Like, I'm just thinking about like an email press release, maybe a holiday card or like a New Year card. Look, as someone who has recently had to deliver a statement publicly about why I was estranged from my family. Yeah. It's not that hard to imagine. No, no, it's it sure isn't. Um, I don't know if this is a case where it is necessary. No, no, I I don't think Um, anything here takes place on that level. Uh, I guess unless the local hometown newspaper gets involved, in which case you you may have to do that. But um, this, <laughs> this, as it currently stands, does not rise to that level. Um, you do not need to own rumors. I think you're doing I, – I feel like a lot of letters today we're telling people to do less. And this yeah. is a way I can – you're doing, I think, the exact correct amount, right? If people come up to you and they directly say, hey, are you not talking to your sister because she's horrible or because she was transphobic to your kid? You get to say the first one yes. and move on. Uh, I, I don't think there's a possible way for you to effectively – deal with uh, other people's presumptions, uh, you can, you know, unless you have some kind of a, a telepathy yeah. and you want to go to your hometown and deal with. Yeah, I agree. You did not attempt to strongly intimate that it was because of transphobia, so you're in no way responsible for that getting started. I also do want to include the possibility that, like, it absolutely has transphobic roots, like this whole, I don't object to that, but I do object to the way in which you told me is kind of a classic dodge. Right. So, like, it's possible we could add a sprinkling of transphobia on top of her already really harmful behavior. So I I don't know that you need to, like, totally rule that out, even in your own mind. Yeah, yeah. I I, 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 I did have the thought that this response was, you know, mighty convenient. Um, but, you know, and you say your sister been nothing but cool to your kid before. Maybe that's true. Um, and, and, you know, your kid. And, and well, and that's before the transition, right? So Right, like, right. So you don't know. And, and you know, if, if your sister wants to go on to have a wonderful and supportive relationship with your kid uh, and, you know, is, is nothing but great to them for the rest of forever. Uh, cool, whatever. Um, that's that's up to her. Uh, but you cannot know if she is transphobic or not in her heart of hearts. Uh, right. And you cannot know if this was related to that. And you certainly do not need to go around to your hometown correcting everybody's potential misapprehensions. 
that's uh, absolutely a, a duty or a you know a psychic weight you can you can free yourself of. I mean, I certainly relate to it, and, and I understand that it's challenging. I I also had in between the like beginning of the estrangement and the time when I felt like I did have to finally make a public statement. I, I had not planned on doing that, and I certainly had people in my life ask questions, and um, I, I had felt at various points like, oh my gosh, it it really bothers me to think that there are people who think that this was caused by something less than what it was mm-hmm. and that was very difficult and and I also struggled with having to just say like I, I need to focus on doing the next right thing right. and keeping my goals in very clear order and my goals here aren't make sure everyone in the world knows everything I know uh, and agrees with all of the choices that I made which was really hard because that's something I want often um, You are an advice columnist I am I am a <laughs> I wanted to make an astrology joke, but I couldn't remember what my sign was. <laughs> so I was going to be like, well, classic Pisces. I don't think they're a Pisces. I'm a Sagittarius. I remember now. Um, so uh, all of which is to say, um, I, I understand that impulse weirdly well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think all you can do is be honest, which you have been. You've clarified this misapprehension when it has come up. My guess is the people you've told will also correct the misapprehension if they hear it. So that may be helping already. Um, But beyond that, like if the distinction is like, no, 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 she wasn't awful about my kid's transition. She distracted from my kid's transition by blowing up at me about how they chose to come out. I think maybe the distinction there you would like to make isn't actually that significant. Your sister still chose to make your child's transition all about her, which is still like demeaning and dehumanizing and cruel. Yeah, and I wonder if a little bit of of your sort of being hung up on on this is not sort of a manifestation of guilt you feel for your very recent estrangement from a sister who you you know spend the first paragraph sort of talking about um, why you hadn't until this point become estranged from her right uh, a feeling of ownership or, or or guilt or connectedness around sort of shared um, diagnoses and trauma um, right. and and you know I you don't need to hold on to this weird tenuous connection uh that you have where it's like oh but should i let people know like you don't you don't need to 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 do that um and you don't need to feel particularly guilty about this clearly this is a this is a very considered decision that you made um and yeah pulling focus around your kids uh, uh transition is uh not a super um sort of no matter what is the impetus it's not it's not great behavior yeah and at the risk of sounding very cynical i just want to say like i i don't think that people suffer so much from being thought of as transphobic that like if you didn't correct this possible misapprehension she'd like never get a job in the town again like we heard you're transphobic like rosario dawson is out there right now promoting her new show and she's like currently being sued for helping to beat up a trans man like it's not a kiss of death to be thought of as transphobic yeah unless you live in a very 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 like uh, a conservative's imagining imagination of what Oberlin is like or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say a hometown that uh, just so happened that the entire city council uh, and and all of the municipality, you know, the municipal control and just all all of the levers of power in this one hometown are, yeah. are controlled by trans people who would be put off by that rumor. Um, probably not super likely. Yeah. And just, I, I also just don't think like, it sounds like she burns bridges a lot. It sounds like a number of people have already had to be estranged from her. I don't think you're necessarily going to be like the bridge that like the the 
last straw or the last bridge out of town or whatever expression I'm struggling for at the moment. Yeah, not, not a strong day for metaphors between between the two of us. But no, yeah, really um, if, if this is like a home, especially if this is a hometown thing and you are not the first of your siblings to to be estranged from her, I don't know that a lot of people are going to be thinking, ah, this time it's just the trans thing and not the part where nobody seems to want to hang out with this person. Right. But you're doing great. Focus on your kid. I'm sorry that you've had such a difficult relationship with your sister your whole life, and I hope that this estrangement brings you a lot of peace. Yeah, and congrats on your kid's transition and being excellent about it. Yeah, I hope it goes great. Calvin, this has been lovely. Would you like to go buy jewelry at a department store with me now? Yeah, I think that would be great. Terrific. (laughs) Thanks so much. Get out of here. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This was was great and very, uh, very on theme. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. It reads to me like you have had multiple people in your life say something along the lines of, if you do not spend as much time with me as I want, you are abusing me. Right. Which is fucking nuts. I apologize. I don't want to use flippant language around sanity or reasonableness, but like it is fucking objectionable. It is outrageous. It is not reasonable. It is not okay if you have multiple people in your life saying things like, if you don't spend as much time with me as I want, you're abusing me. That is not what abuse is. No. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.